Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time, and we're looking here at a different oracle here. We keep going on through this oracle against the nations. Each chapter has a few or one, and this one is interesting. It turns its attention to Moab. Last time we saw three different ones. It was the end part of the Babylonian oracle, and then the Assyrian one, then the Philistine one, um, and now it's just all about Moab. And in fact, two whole chapters are devoted to this oracle against Moab. So, you know, it's not one of the names that we think of a lot when we think of who is really important in the history of all this. We think of the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians. Moab, you know, Moab, they're just a a little, little guy. It's not really that significant, but a lot of time is spent here. So why so much attention And, and just what kind of relationship did Israel have with Moab? You know, what are we talking about here in Isaiah's oracle in chapters 15 and 16? So joining us today to look at some of those questions, we have Pastor Curtis Dieterding, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida, returning. Good to have you back, brother. And uh, yeah, a couple of uh, interesting chapters, uh, some stuff that seems obscure at times, but some some, uh, insights I think we will see by the end of the hour. Yeah, and I... I have to be honest with you, I have not had the time to get back into a lot of the history surrounding all of these territories and the names and so forth. Some of them I I do recall from other portions of Scripture, but uh, so I'll be very dependent upon your wisdom, too, this morning as we work our way through this. Well, we'll just be helping each other out. You know, I, I tell people, you know, like the historical stuff, it's something I, I think I'm getting better at, but... My my forte is more like in the language itself, and and unfortunately for us, there's actually a lot of stuff in the language here. I mean, this is just again, all these oracles Absolutely. are poems. Yes, there's there's a lot here. Yes, <laughs> to, to digest, that's for sure. Well, fortunately for us, we only have nine verses. Um, but I mean, then again, I mean, just we, we've seen these are these are dense uh, dense verses here. Uh, maybe one thing that might be interesting to to maybe just consider before we start uh, talking about it though or reading it um this what we have in isaiah 15 and 16 seems to largely be what we find elsewhere in the book of jeremiah right right Mm -hmm. so what do we what do we make of yeah go ahead you go ahead you go ahead I was just going to ask. So, what what do we make of that? I mean, if you if you look at Jeremiah forty eight, some of it is uh, it means very similar or just word for word the same. So, how is it that this uh, oracle winds up in both Isaiah and Jeremiah? I don't know. You'll need to tell us that because that's one of the things I'm talking about. I'm I'm not as familiar with the history at this point because I'm kind of just jumping in here in the midst of all of this and uh, have not had the time to put the attention to it as I wanted to. So. I, yeah, I understand what you mean. Yeah, well, well, certainly. I mean, there's a there's <clears throat> there's kind of two levels to the question, right? One is like on the historical level, like just you know, like what series of events led to an oracle against Moab winding up in both Jeremiah and Isaiah? And it's not the first time that we've seen this, right? That there's been some material in Isaiah that we saw was also in Micah. Right. Um, and, and so we, we've seen that and it kind of raises the question. So what's going on? And I, I think on a certain level, uh, the, the simple answer is that, well, you know, these guys kind of overlapped. Um, you know, things were said, um, you know, these oracles might, may have been said even in the temple or in Jerusalem. And just because one prophet says it doesn't mean that it's not like any other prophets, like not allowed to say these things. So. Um, in some cases, even, it seems like the, the prophets may have been talking to each other. They may have been um, sharing ideas. And so certainly there's there's going to be some overlap between the, the material of Isaiah, which does get into um, some of the later period with the Babylonian exile um, with Jeremiah. There's a lot of relationship with Moab all the way through the history of the people of Israel. You know, uh, there have right. been uh, some, some good uh, relations, there have been bad relations, and uh, it's just, I mean, we, we find Moab uh, written throughout uh, a lot of the writings of the Old Testament as a result of being such a close neighbor. 
Well, well, right. And and we've seen that, you know, when we were going through numbers, you know, it was interesting how there were just a couple of these close neighbors, right? That the story just, it kind of took these like very particular turns when, when they were dealing with Edom or when they were dealing with Moab. These aren't just, mm-hmm. you know, a- anybody. Israel has these uh, close relationships and these are the sorts of relationships that, I mean, they go back to Genesis, um, that, you know, these are like, these are like cousins to Israel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there are some connections. I know that, um, I know that Moab, uh, was a a descendant, uh, Moab was a descendant of, um, I believe it was, uh, Lot and, and, uh, his eldest daughter, um, I was, I was trying to think there was a connection there uh, with the people mm-hmm. of Israel. Um, so, right. I mean, yeah, there, there's an intermingling, too, you know, of the people that were there. Um, and the relation is always strained, the relationship, ever since, you know, uh, the Israelites came in and took over that land um, west of, uh, you know, of the sea there. Uh, whereas, you know, Moab is, is in the region east of the Dead Sea. You've got um, uh, a lot of tension between the two as a result of that. Well, right. They're, so they're in close proximity, and so that's you know that, that's just going to result in some friction going on. But in, in particular, you know, we we saw back in when we were looking at numbers, um, you know, you get this little uh, there, there's like a falling out with Moab, and I mean that might be a good way of describing it with with the the whole thing that's going on um, with, with the, the prophet Balaam and everything that was going on at that time that there, there was kind of previously, it seems like something of a little bit more goodwill, but in, in those moments where we were seeing, and that was like the whole thing going on with, um, worshiping, uh, it was Baal of Peor. And that's when you needed Phineas to come and end the, the plague that had broken out the, um, I mean, or, as as we saw at that time, kind of the calamity really that God was using against the people in judgment, that Moab sort of used up the last of its goodwill in that when it was leading Israel astray. And so at, at that point, it, it seems like God had kind of been, you know, he, he had the kid gloves on, so to speak. But after that, it was like, okay, no, no more. We're, we're not going to treat you like, um, you know, kind of like a special um, kind of distant relative or, or, or kind of a remote kin here, but you're just going to be like any other nation. And that, that sort of seems to be what's going on. This is like just the spelling out of that, that Moab's not going to have a special place anymore. It's it's just going to be like the other nations. Right, right. So let me, let me begin with a prayer then as we approach this yes, chapter here in Isaiah. Gracious God, as we come before you this day, we we know that each and every word that is written about the history of the Israelites is part of our history. It it touches our lives in ways that we can understand your relationship more fully with us even today. We pray that you would be with us and bless us as we look at the oracle concerning Moab, uh, that we can understand uh, what those relationships were among the people back then, and what that means for us today, and also the relationship with you, and what that also means for us this day. We, we pray that you would continue to always bless us by the, the gifts that we receive through the power of your Holy Spirit, as your word continues to touch our minds and our hearts, as we seek ways in which we can serve you and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that others may know of the wonderful salvation that you have won for us, and given to us freely through his work. This we pray all in the one who is our Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's go ahead and look at this oracle and start reading it. We can just, I mean, it is only nine verses, so we, we can kind of take our time here. Um, and and the uh, it, it is important, like we were saying before, to consider that this is in many ways just the the first half of the Moab Oracle. And so a lot of the stuff that will, will kind of complete the thought and kind of complete the picture will actually be taking up really um, next time. But we, we, it might be helpful at some points to, to go ahead and kind of look at some of the things in 16. But just reading the first part of 15 for now, just the first few verses. An Oracle Concerning Moab. 
Because R of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. Because Kir of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. He has gone up to the temple and to Debon, to the high places to weep. Over Nebo and over Medeba, Moab wails. On every head is baldness, every beard is shorn. In the streets they wear sackcloth, on the housetops and in the squares, everyone wails and melts in tears. Heshbon and Elea cry out, their voice is heard as as far as Jahaz. Therefore, the armed men of Moab cry aloud, his soul trembles. All right, so pa- pausing there here, it's, it's kind of already half of it. Um, but yeah, so, you know, uh, as you were kind of mentioning, there's, there's different places that are mentioned here, R and Kier, and I mean, it, it's, it's sort of um, unclear exactly like what, you know, what locations are we even talking about? I mean, even to the people who, who study this stuff. Um, but what, what is clear is that, you know, kind of unlike some of the other oracles, like, you know, the oracle uh, with Philistia was kind of ominous, right? Like, oh, you know, Philistia, you're laughing now because Ahaz has died, uh, but just wait, right? Or the oracle against Assyria, which was like, you know, the the siege is going to be broken. The yoke that they're placing over Jerusalem is going to be removed. Um, And some of these other things that are kind of more ominous, um, this oracle against Moab is just sort of like the damage has already been done. They've already been wiped out. Right. Well, in that, in that, you know, they're, they're naming two places within Moab, I think to give us also the picture of the total destruction that went on there, is that people are aware of uh, these geographical locations of both of these places, and that um, I'm sure that, that it, it just really envelops all of what, uh, what kind of destruction was going to be coming upon these people and what, or what came upon these people. So. Um, you know, I, I, I do want to look at though, and I and I and I have looked at uh, the first two there a little bit uh, because right. I don't want people to be confused about the temple language that's here. Uh, okay, because this is not the temple of the people of Israel, since this is a foreign country. But yet we t- we right. see the word temple being used here, and it's the temple or the house. Um, of idolatrous worship that was con- con- conducted there of uh, you know false gods. So um, these high places uh, where they're weeping, and it's really what caught my attention is that in high places is where the people of God uh, gather to uh, lift up praise and uh, their worship to God, even in the temple of the people of God. Uh, we've heard that the reason the temple is built upon the mount is that uh, it, it, it is uh, its proximity to God, that it's in a higher place, uh, that, that there's this idea of closeness to God. So it's interesting that um, they go to the high places to weep and to wail, and then there's a description of people that are uh, really in uh, an emphasis of mourning, because that's what you do you know, when you mourn is, is that you shave your head, you, you wear a sackcloth, uh, and there's wailing and, and tears. Uh, right. They are wailing in such a way that it's like a death, death to their country and to a lot of the people, of course, in that country as a result of the destruction. Right, right. And, and that's, and that's um, a helpful note to just think about what this means. You know, they're going to the high places, they're going to these places of worship, to 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 wail and to lament before their gods before before the pagan gods of Moab and you know you see high places um as an idea that as as you were saying is sort of a, a universal across the board that you know what as you were saying you know why, why is Jerusalem up on like a mountain basically you know why is the temple like you know all you know up there up on this hill of Zion um, you know, you have all these psalms of ascent at the end of the Psalter, right? Because you go up, you know, up the stairs, right? Like right. step by step. Um, on the other hand, though, right, the, the term itself, high places, tends to have a lot of negative connotations um, in the Bible. And particularly when you get into some of those historical books like First um, and Second Kings, there's a lot of talk about, 
God's anger being kindled as a result of the high places and um, it being a God-pleasing thing to finally get rid of the high places. Um, because as you said, the, the term high place just, I mean, kind of basically just means like worship center. <laughs> and um, if there's any worship centers in Israel besides the temple, that's not a good thing necessarily. Yeah, it's not. And, and, it's, and it's, it's one another thing that's kind of interesting, and, and they are not repenting, they are not doing that, but they are lamenting, they are um, crying out as, as because of the grief that they have. But it's interesting that there is some similarity there whenever you think of wearing sackcloth and the wailing and, and, and just the, uh, the sadness, you know, um, that the people of God actually did that whenever they were uh, in in a repentance mode with mm-hmm. God in heaven. Right. It's just it's interesting to see the similarities. The the shaving of the head and the really the end of the beard off the head too uh, was an, an act of humiliation. Um, right. and they were humiliated because they were they were destroyed, and so it's a little bit different focus whenever we're looking at uh, one of the um, you know the enemies of of Israel here. So. Right. Well, right. No, and, and um, I mean, like in, in many ways, you know, they're they're going up to to their their gods, right? And you know, I mean, you can imagine what the lamentation must have been like. You know, like, you know, like, oh, uh, you know, Kamosh, like, wh- why have you let us down? Like, wh- wh- what's what happened? Like, have you been destroyed? I mean, and that's certainly the perspective of pagan religion that. You know, if if your if your land has been devastated, if you have suffered massive military defeat, it's like your your god or your gods have been defeated. And so, th- this isn't you know like they're going up to Jerusalem and and, and being like, oh, we, we should really be worshiping the god, the true god of Israel, the god of Yahweh, right? They're, they're I mean, really just in in disarray, and I mean, really, it's it's a situation of just more confusion and the, and the spiritual confusion is matching the the physical and material devastation what's going on there are no answers right right yeah and i, and I mean uh, it's you know verse three when you were reading that too you know in the second half of that you know they're not only were they in the streets wearing sackcloth but they were on the housetops they were in the squares and they were wailing and melt and 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 they melted in tears. It's it's interesting because what what I what I'm hearing is that in every nook and cranny, I mean, this was going on in every place, right. and so you get this this idea. And then and then whenever you um, talked about in verse four that 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 cry could be as heard as far as Jay has. I mean, these men were lamenting. I mean, they were definitely crying out. Uh, which again indicates that this destruction is total. Right. Yeah. No. It, it's everywhere. It's everyone. And actually, that that kind of uh, reminds me of something that is probably worth just mentioning, just so everyone's following along here. Um, a couple times here, you have the pronoun he being used. So you know, he has gone up to the temple. Um, and where was it again? I think that we saw right. it. Um, his soul trembles. Right. So yep, I mean, if someone someone might ask, um, so so hang on a second, who's who's the dude in this? Who's who's this guy that we were talking about? Yeah, so um, it, it's probably referring to um, just the, the 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 people themselves. I'm not sure if it's referring to the leader or to the the one who is in charge. Um, I, how have you uh, how have you translated that? Well, I think that it's sort of like in the other oracle, especially the oracle against Babylon, where and, and you bring up a good point. Um, the the leader kind of represents the entirety of the people, right? right? I mean, and, and you have the same idea as you've been noticing. There's there's a number of parallels between you know all these people around Israel and Israel themselves. Um, you know, the the king is this interesting intermediary even in israel the king represented both god to the people and also represented the people themselves and so in in the same way when you have babylon the king of babylon and the earlier oracle and how that king goes down to sheol and goes down among the shades the idea is the whole people 
is going down and the whole people has become weak and become wiped out. And that's very clear from the language that there being no remnant. And so uh, I think similarly here in the same way that in the Bible, it talks about Israel using the singular and talking about what God is doing to him or what, what he is doing, right? Referring to the whole people collectively. Moab, yep. Yeah. Same same thing here, and that just complements yeah. what you were saying about the you know in the streets and the housetops in the squares. I mean, th- this is Moab as an entire people is in lamentation because of of the total devastation. Right, and you and you get the picture that it's everyone that no one's left out. You know that this is total and complete. Right, right, and and, and it's um, showing the signs of of this lamentation in ways that are you know familiar to from a hebrew perspective you know shaving the head or or, or the beards um the, these signs of of grieving you know i think you mentioned like the signs um that are similar to maybe the kind of grieving that you might do with the death of a family member or something like that um the same same sorts of things you know you can imagine you know fasting um it, it's mentioned you know the sackcloth so a lot of those same sorts of things, um, it, it's it's pretty understandable from that Hebrew perspective. That's right, and yeah, and, and we can just see that um, you know when you're you're making some comparison, you know, there to uh, Jeremiah too. You know, here is a prophet that uh, was a wailing prophet. You know, this he knew something of what this was all about, and so um, you know there is a, a lot of what. Uh, is going on here is definitely uh, seen in the life of the prophet Jeremiah and and uh, his dealings as well. And of course, uh, where we get lamentations, you know, the the whole of lamentations too. We can uh, there's, there's so much uh, connection in what it looks like when you have uh, received uh, a destruction that that's come upon you as the result of an oracle from God. Uh, especially when uh, the people of those countries uh, that are devastated are, are totally um, against what his will is, uh, and especially when it came to his own people, Israel. Right, right. Well, and so that, and that's really the key with with all of this is you know so why why is there this oracle, right? Um, you know, because this is certainly not an oracle of, um, you know, Moab, you need to cut this out or else you're going to be destroyed, right? This isn't like Jonah to to the city of Nineveh, right, where he's trying right. to, like, preach repentance. Um, this is an oracle that's that's simply providing a spiritual perspective on what has already happened in this case that we would all understand, um, you know, uh, particularly Israel, actually, that Israel would understand what's happened. Um, but perhaps even if there were some Moabites who joined themselves to Israel, and of course that's something that happened um, in the Old Testament that we know in the case of the Book of Ruth, right? Right. Yep. Yeah, Ruth. You know, I mean, that was the first. Uh, that was the first story that came to mind too. Whenever you look at uh, the life of Ruth, uh, there, you know, this is this is uh, where she hails from, and so. Um, yeah, when you start looking at the entire uh, scripture, that's what I was saying earlier. You find that uh, Moab and the Moabites uh, are definitely in a relationship here uh, with the Israelites, and it, and it and it hasn't always been good. Yeah, well, well, we should we should talk maybe a little bit more about about that Ruth connection, but we should hold that thought for right now because we need to go into a short break. But everybody, hang with us. We're looking at Isaiah fifteen. Oracle Against Moab here on Thy Strong Word, and we'll be right back. This is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week, you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in 
and may the intersection of word and work be busy on your corner. How do we find security in an uncertain world? By gaining more knowledge or somehow getting on God's good side? No, Dr. Michael Ziegler says there's a better way, the one that God has made for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. In Christ, God draws us homeward to himself. Hear Dr. Ziegler's message this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 15 here, together with our guest, Pastor Curtis Dieterding, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. And as we're talking here, you know, uh, Pastor Dieterding was just mentioning how, you know, Moab is just is one of these peoples that keeps coming up again and again throughout the Old Testament, and there's a lot of connections. We're just mentioning Ruth, for example. If you if you have a connection that you have in mind, or just a question about this chapter, um, or even if there's something you're seeing in the next chapter that ties in here, those are all sorts of fair game questions for us. If you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Go ahead and call in if you're listening live. Or if you're in Florida or elsewhere, 1-800-730-2727. Or you can always send an email to KFUO at KFUO.org. So, yeah, we were just, you know, so, yeah, it's a really, it's a relationship that's been one of uh, ups and downs and ebbs and flows, right? And so we were mentioning, you know, just how we saw in Numbers, you know, how in Numbers 25, the whole thing with Balaam and trying to curse them and trying to lead them astray into idolatry and then the, the disaster that was that was wrought on the camp you know so you know really bad uh, moment in the relationship with Moab but you know there's Ruth on the other hand which kind of paints like a I don't know I mean kind, kind of a more uh, well actually I mean really a much more positive uh, relationship you know because of course in Ruth you know um, the, the family there um you know, the family which, you know, um, becomes Ruth's family leaves Bethlehem because there's like a famine and they, they go into Moab and they find wives for their sons. And so it's sort of like, you know, the, the, they seem like decent enough people to, to marry into, right? Yeah, um, she and, was and willing the, to. She was willing to embrace their their God, their true, you know, as the true God, right. and 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 so forth. Yeah, there's quite a conversion story there that goes on. Mm-hmm. Right, and so and that's and that's the big thing that that Ruth, like, she's like, no, I'm, I'm, don't ask me to leave you. I'm going with you, and then of course, you know, um, you know, she ends up marrying Boaz, um, you know, who who is an Israelite, and uh, significantly. The, the father of um, Obed, who is, um, if I'm getting my generations straight, I think the grandfather of King David. Right, right. Yes. So, I mean, so, I mean that, that's really something, right, that um, ultimately the, the Messiah, um, you know, and, and David, and, and ultimately the, the Messiah, capital M, and Jesus Christ is a descendant of Moab in, in this certain respect. So, I mean— there's there's these these high points and these and these low points, but through it all, God is trying to provide a spiritual perspective of what's going on. This isn't just you know randomly on some days we like Moab and randomly we don't. You know, like uh, some kind of 1984. You know, we've always been at war with East Asia, sort of thing. Um, right. So this is the spiritual perspective here, and, and it's sort of like the question is raised and the spiritual perspective on what and um i mean I, I don't i mean i know you mentioned that you you hadn't had a chance to look into some of the historical stuff but just off the top of your head is is there anything that or is there something that jogs your memory in terms of like what kind of destruction are we talking about here 
Well, you know, I was looking back at the very first verse again, too, and it, it, what caught my attention a little bit was this word undone, you know, that Moab is now undone. And I was looking uh-huh. at some of the other translations uh, kind of yeah. during the break just to see what, how was it, how was it uh, mentioned in others. And um, I found it, you know, I found it interesting that in the King James Version, the actual verse begins with the burden of Moab as kind of a title there, and then it starts in Because in the Night. And uh, looking a little bit more into Ar and Kur, too, uh, one is located in the northern part of Moab, the, the other is lo- located in the southern part of Moab, Kur, and you're looking at uh, a total destruction here, an undoing, and, and then another translation was a ruin, and here in the King James, it's t- it's called... Um, was brought to silence. I thought, wow, that's really interesting how we have several different translations into the English that really conjure up different ideas or understandings of what kind of destruction happened here. And so uh, there's there's definitely truth in all of those ideas, of course, um, as we look at those. I mean, all of these are are, are very good um, perspectives of what kind of destruction there was there. Right. Yeah, no, and we, I think we've actually talked about that a little bit. I forget where it was in Isaiah, but we we talked about how the, one of these Hebrew words that's commonly used for destruction is also the word for silencing idea or, or, or to stop something from moving. That That's kind of the idea. You kind of imagine, you know, a, the, the, the illustration that kind of helps me is you imagine like a guitar string vibrating, right? And it's moving, yeah, and it's yeah, making a noise, good, but, a but once you once yeah. you cut it, it stops moving. It stops making a sound. It's it's that kind of way of thinking about destruction or undoing, right? And so it's um you know you can kind of translate that with a few different words, but that's kind of the, I think like the the picture. Um, the, and the other one you mentioned also was oracle at the beginning, and there are a couple different words for oracle um, in Hebrew, and this is the one that kind of literally is something that is lifted up or something that's a burden. Um, sometimes it's kind of thought right. of as like, you know, this is a, I, I don't know what you, uh, if you're, if you're the prophet who has this, you're not exactly the messenger of good news in this moment. You kind of have the burden of imparting uh, rather bad news. Yes, that's a good point. That's a very good point in, in uh, trying to understand what the what the understanding of the word oracle is. Um, and so, yeah, so, um, yeah, you're laying it out there. And it's, it's interesting that, um, you know, that it has that understanding. You know, or, you know a lot of times we, we hear the word oracle and, and people think that, oh, it's just some kind of an edict. It's some kind of a uh, pronouncement of some sort. Um, it's actually more than that. It's deeper than that. It's um, actually, as you mentioned, you know, it's a burden, and uh, it it uh, it has a little different connotation to it than just some kind of proclamation. Right, right. No, and, and there's and there's just, I mean, there's a lot of different words for um, for oracle, and and they don't necessarily mean that they're totally different things. Like I'm remembering when we were looking. Um, you know, I, I mentioned Balaam earlier when we were in Numbers and we're looking at the the oracles of Balaam. He actually uses two different Hebrew words to describe the oracle that he had. But what's interesting is the way he describes what he's doing actually fits kind of really well with this meaning. Also, they're all kind of they're all kind of valid perspectives, I would say, on kind of the same thing. And um, on the one hand, um, you know, he was describing what he was um, saying as a declaration because God had said it. And it's that's the way it's going to be. There's no like taking it back. And we saw that in the previous chapter that once God speaks the pronouncement, um, you know, nothing's going to stop that. Who, who's going to say, oh, I don't think so, God? No one. Um, on the other hand, uh, in Balaam's oracles, we, we saw there was a different Hebrew word that described how they were kind of uh, wisdom oracles, like how on a certain level right, they were kind right. of... Um, that kind of natural knowledge of God that even Balaam as a, as a pagan uh, could understand and, and how there is that sort of sense where, you know, even, even a pagan who doesn't have the benefit of um, the word of God, you can understand a certain amount because God's just revealing himself through his creation. And then finally the word that we're talking about now, this word that's burden um, 
kind of captures also the other side of what Balaam was doing, because even though Balak wanted him to curse, wanted him to curse the people so he could, you know, protect Moab, you know, what he come back with? And he said, Balak, if God says that I have to bless him, I have to bless him. Um, if God says that I can't curse them, I can't curse them. That is, in a sense, kind of the prophet's burden. They cannot do anything except for what God permits them to do. Right, right. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. Yep. So, well, yeah, that gives, that gives clarity, I think, a little bit more so to the word oracle. And uh, just, just, uh, it, it just, it's just interesting how it's translated as a burden, you know, in the uh, in the King James there. But. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think the King James, like to to the credit of that translation, was was uh, trying to, you know, like I was saying, there's there's like three or four different words for oracle, trying to kind of help uh, help you appreciate the kind of different right. perspective, that kind of different flavor that each of those terms has, but. But, but yeah, I so the, I believe the NIV actually used the word pro, uh, prophecy there uh, in, in in place of that. So that was kind of interesting as well. But I I don't know. Uh, I just was I was just curious by that word. You don't see the word undone, you know, used a lot in the scripture. And um, mm-hmm. I know the RSV used to use it as well because I was looking at all these different translations and and uh, noticed that there was a little different usage for all those. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, but. But so, yeah, so that uh, you, to your earlier point, though, you know, kind of um, it, it's it makes good sense to suppose, you know, if, if R and Kira are like on different sides of the country. And certainly we saw that sort of thing in earlier chapters of Isaiah kind of going from the east to the west or the north to the south as a way of describing, you know, total destruction, you know, from from A to Z kind of thing. Right. From one to ten. Mm-hmm. And 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 so whatever description destruction we're talking about is, is pretty um, it, it's, it's just complete. And so, you know, what, what, you know, goodness, what, what destruction are we talking about? When did Moab get wiped off the map? And <clears throat> I mean, I, I guess I'm not, like I said, I'm not like a, like a history expert, but I mean, in the, in the context of Isaiah, we've been talking about the onslaught of the Assyrians, um, you know, and how Isaiah was prophesying to, uh, to Ahaz and Hezekiah, that these these uh, all these you know, neighboring countries and nations, including Samaria to the north and Damascus, Syria to the east, were all going to get just undone and laid to waste by the Assyrians. And so it, it seems to me like this is just a description of a continuation of that bloodthirsty onslaught of the Assyrians, that the Assyrians were weren't going to be content just to take over a few of them, but pretty much all of them. And that's one of the reasons why, kind of similar to the Babylonians after them, they were just renowned for their ruthlessness. Right. So, and then uh, just one last comment uh, before we move on to, when we look at uh, verse 4 and how uh, it closes off there with his soul trembles, uh, hmm. really talks about the 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 depth of what's gone on here and and the depth of how it's affected uh the mind the body and the soul uh, the soul especially as uh, it trembles after witnessing what has now occurred so i just thought i'd just point that out i thought that was uh, that's kind of a, a a wonderful way for us to see that this has really infiltrated um even the very soul of these people Right, right. It, it's a total devastation that shakes to the core, you might say. Yeah, right. Very good, yes. All right. Well, let's go ahead and read the second half here. And, and we noticed here there's a little bit of a, of a transition here because before the pronoun was he and his, like in his soul, as we were just mentioning. But now you get a different pronoun. You get my. So okay. the voice has changed in this oracle a little bit. So here's verse five then. My heart cries out for Moab. Her fugitives flee to Zoar, to Eglath Shalishiah, for at the ascent of Luhith they go up weeping. On the road to Horonaim they raise a cry of destruction. The waters of Nimrim are a desolation. The grass is withered. The vegetation fails. The greenery is no more. Therefore, the abundance they have gained and what they have laid up, they carry away over the brook of the willows. For a cry has gone around the land of Moab. Her wailing reaches to Eglaim. 
her wailing reaches to Be'er Elim, for the waters of Dibon are full of blood, and I will bring upon Dibon even more, a lion for those of Moab who escape, for the remnant of the land. All right, so, you know, this is, uh, it starts off, you know, in verse 5, you know, my heart cries out for Moab. Um, There's, there's, uh, it's interesting because there's, there's some sympathy in, in all of this. And yet in the closing verse, um, what does it say? I will bring upon Dibon even more, referring to more blood, a lion for those of Moab who escape for the remnant of the land. So on the other hand, it sounds, uh, not sympathetic at all, but actually merciless. So, I mean, just, just what is the feeling here in all of this? Well, I, I really believe that, you know, you have the prophet here actually um, putting on the shoes, you know, getting into the clothes of those who, uh, who, have, been, who have been devastated. He's, he enters into Moab's suffering and their anguish. Um, my heart cries out for, for Moab. Uh, and and uh, it does. It's a matter that I think that concerns um, Isaiah in his inmost being here, and, and that's what we're getting the feeling of. Um, and and I, I, I believe that he's crying and weeping also for them, uh, and because he knows what this is about. He knows why this devastation uh, has come upon them. Um, and there's just a lot connected here with how he kind of just walks on through this all the way to uh, all the way to verse 9 here um and so in verse 9 though the, you know the waters it says for the waters of Dibon are full of blood for I will bring upon Dibon even more a lion for the Moab to escape the remnant of the land uh, there is still more and and he <laughs> you know you can understand why he's crying uh, why his heart's crying for them? Because uh, you know this is there's more coming. There's more. There's more than what has already happened here. Um, right. And 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 so, um, yeah, his heart is right there with them. Uh, I think he really is understanding this uh, deeper than than uh, than than we actually probably would ever know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think so. I think that there is this this close feeling, and I don't think that that even even you know the israelites even though they have at times have had this really bad relationship with moab uh, i don't i i think it's it's kind of like that family member that's estranged that you have a bad relationship with who you know maybe you can't even stand but even even for that guy you you're not like you know doing cartwheels when everything falls apart for them you know i mean like you know you look back on it and you're like gosh uh, I, I wouldn't want that um, wished on them, you know. I mean, it's just you, you, you can't help but have that sort of sympathy and, and that kind of just basic um, feeling of kinship, as as you were bringing out. the The thing that's interesting and, and maybe uh, a provocative idea, um, you know, in verse nine, there is that that use of the first person there. For I will bring upon um, Dibon or Dibon even more a lion for those of Moab who escape. Um, you know, so that's, I would say, probably not the voice of Isaiah there. Um, the one who's, you know, bringing all this stuff upon them, I mean, pretty consistently, uh, whether it's bringing upon all this disaster and calamity to um, to these guys, to the Moabites, or to the Assyrians, or to the Philistines, or all the rest, it's God. So it seems like there, at least the first person voice is God's own voice, which to me raises the possibility that, is it possible that in verse 5, that is also the voice of God? And in fact, it is God's own heart that cries out for Moab as he brings destruction upon them, but in a sense uh, weeps as he does so that he brings this destruction upon them because it's what they deserve, it's what they have sown, and so thus they reap. It is what his agent of the Assyrians are doing. I mean, we, we've seen that throughout Isaiah, that the Assyrians are his tool, um, and this is what the Assyrians are going to do. Uh, but in, in his heart of hearts, he wishes it is it wasn't this way. He didn't want this for Moab. 
Right. I, I think I think there's a there, there's there could definitely be this understanding of a blending here too because it's uh, it's also the heart of the writer. I mean, Isaiah mm-hmm. is bringing God's words. I mean, there is a combination of the two. Uh, when you when you look at it, you know, as far as what is Isaiah's responsibility, he has to bring bring God's word to bear to the people, and so right. he's carrying the very word of, of the Lord. And and I agree. I I, I can see uh, how you're saying that this is also the Lord. This is the Lord's heart that's crying out for Moab. You know, Isaiah standing in the stead of God for the people. I mean, when he right. speaks a word of oracle like this, it is as though God himself is speaking because it is God that is speaking through Isaiah. So, uh, I mean, that's right on. Um, but, uh, so, it, yeah, it is more than just, um, you know, just feelings being expressed here by, by a prophet. Uh, but the reasons for destruction are being laid out here, too. Uh, you know, as you look at what's being written, written here and what's coming, you know, that the, grass, the grass is withered, the vegetation fails, the greenery is no more. They went from, you know, enjoying a lushness in the land and in the water, and, and now everything is destroyed. And even the future that's going to be coming uh, still yet, uh, with waters that are full of blood, uh, what can survive in that, you know? Um, they can't even use the water <laughs> there. I mean, this is how devastating well, this has been. Well, 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 right. And that, that kind of also raises another point, too. I mean, um, I, I mean, you can I mean, certainly understand the, the idea of the grass withering, the vegetation fails. You know, I, I think of I think of this psalm that describes humanity that way in a metaphorical way that, you know, like we wither and fall like Probably. the grass, like the flower. Right. Um, and so certainly you could have like a, a metaphor in that sense. Yes. But on the other hand, um, you know, some some uh, writers have said uh, perhaps this is actually describing like a twofold judgment that uh, on the one hand, Assyria is going to come through and wipe them out just like, you know, every other nation basically in the region. Um, but then on top of that, is there perhaps, is this is this actually getting at, a famine, uh, a drought on top of that, you know, and that's why you have in verse six, the waters of Nimrim are a desolation, right? Talking about the waters drying up. Well, now hang on a second. That does sound kind of like actually like a real drought. So the idea is God is using both the political and the, the natural forces in judgment against them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was also looking at the, the word Zoar, and I uh, was trying to mm. recall, um, you know, there was a story about um, Lot, you know, when they were, lead, when they were leaving and fleeing, right. to, uh, fleeing from Sodom, that um, they actually uh, became uh, fugitives there trying to, to seek... Um, Really, on their way, hopefully, back up to the land of of where Israel was at as well. And so, I just found that kind of interesting that their fugitives are fleeing to the same place as they fled from the. Uh, and 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 again, you know, uh, what happens? What happens to uh, the 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 sea that we have there? Um, you know, as a result of Sodom and Gomorrah, and you know, you have the Dead Sea there and. Uh, there's just a lot going on here that that uh, surely uh, shows just total uh, destruction and devastation that God can bring upon a land as He uh, prophesies. So. Right, right. At this description of total destruction, you know, it, it makes you think perhaps um, of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, it perhaps you know recalls the, the total destruction that you have. Uh, the, the description we saw earlier of Babylon, you know, of course, which refers to a later time, but just oh, the yeah. idea that that no one's going to be inhabiting it anymore. It's just going to be uh, a place where wild animals are passing through, but no one inhabits it. Um, and then the other thing, I think, that maybe kind of uh, triggers a memory is that in verse 9, that description, uh, the, the Debon being full of blood, um, some authors have have suggested that that might actually be a little bit of a of a play on on words that that's um that's not it's I think there's probably something to that because um, the the debone right 
uh, I'm saying it like that because in Hebrew it's dimon is the pronunciation, and mm-hmm. and that dimon sounds a lot like the Hebrew word dam, which is just blood. Um, so is there is there perhaps like a, a play there? Um, maybe so, and and maybe that's actually meant to jog our memories and think about what happened to Egypt when the Nile was turned to blood, and it was like the, the god of the Egyptians had had just been slain. Right, right. Yeah, they're, they, I mean, they're really. It, it, that's what I'm saying. If if uh, if you really take the time to look at all the different uh, elements here that we see, all the different uh, parts of this oracle, uh, there's there seems to be such an attachment to so many different other. Uh, parts of God's prophecies uh, throughout the Old Testament. And uh, like you were mentioning earlier, too, with Jeremiah, you know, you have some uh, crossovers, some... Um, it's it's the same message, you know, for a lot of the countries, not just for Moab, but when uh, God is uh, coming to bring his His force against evil, and especially evil in the, in the countries that surrounded Israel, um, that destruction is going to be total, and and we get a we get a, a beautiful picture. I, I guess we can't use the word beautiful, but you you get this uh, picture anyway of what that looks like uh, in 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 detail here. Well, perhaps if there is any beauty in in what is a horrifying picture, it is the silver lining that as this is all going on. God, God, I mean, God, God's heart cries out for these people, that he does not want them to be wiped out, that even if Moab is like all the other nations um, and it's destroyed, that on a certain level suggests that all the other nations are something like Moab, that, that God has sympathy for them, even as they get their just desserts, and that, you know, as all the nations of the world um I mean, experience their their own demise because of their own brutality and because of their own mercilessness. That God's that God's ultimate will, um, that His you know proper will and work, is not that they would just be wiped out and destroyed, but that like Ruth, that they would attach themselves to Israel. And that's that's that term that we saw er, just earlier, a chapter ago, I think it was, that they would attach themselves to Israel because they really. Um, in that kind of truest sense, are meant to be part of the family of Israel. And that's and that's God's will for Moab and for every nation, that there would be repentance um, and that there would be respite from destruction through Jesus Christ, who brings all people together. All right. I mean, and each, each part of the story and the history of Israel uh, really shows the bigger picture. It's really a reflection of... Uh, of the bigger picture of, right. of this whole salvation story of God in the entire Scripture through Christ Jesus that we see, um, as I mentioned Amen. in my prayer earlier, you know, we yep. were talking about that. So um, we were talking. Well, about, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, can you hear the music? <laughs> I, hear, <laughs> I, I thought maybe that was early. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is all out of time, even with just nine verses. But thank you so much, brother. Uh, appreciate it. Look forward to having you on again soon. It's always a joy. Bye-bye now. All right, everybody. That was Pastor Curtis Dieterding, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Thanks for tuning in. Check out our, our underwriters at lhfmissions.org. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Till next time, peace. Strong word.